Are you ready to get real? Welcome to Real Estate, the world's loneliest career, where you're always out of balance, unfulfilled, the role models are fake, the numbers unattainable, and you're just supposed to be and do it all. Join self-made millionaire real estate agents, wives, moms, and business owners as we level up, learn from special guests, and elevate and disrupt an entire industry through real education our way. Hey everybody, happy Tuesday. We're so excited to be here today with our new friend, Alex Jarbo. Um, he is a short-term rental developer, manager, all the things with short-term rentals. And he is a contributor, a writer, a coach, a teacher for uh, Bigger Pockets also in their short-term rental uh, sector of content. So we are so excited to have Alex here today. Um, this is a sector of the business that I know that all of our listeners are always curious about. And being completely honest, I don't think Angela or I are the experts on short-term rentals. Angela does a lot of work with design in short-term rentals, but she does a lot of uh, staging and design for uh, BRBOs and Airbnbs. But our audience definitely needs to learn more about this. So we are very excited. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'd love to talk to you guys about design as well, because that is not my strong suit on the inside. So <laughs> yeah, my wife usually handles the inside stuff. <laughs> so tell us how this journey started for you. How did you start in this business? Yeah, so I was I served in the Marine Corps for four and a half years. And towards the end of my enlistment, about like a year out um, with my enlistment ending, I, I sort of decided that I didn't want to re-enlist. So I just started picking up a lot of different books, whether it be general business books, stock market books, and real estate books. Originally, I started with the Bigger Pockets books because um, they were just very beginner friendly. And um, so I, I, I read for maybe like three, four months, just maybe like 20 or 30 books just on the weekend. And flipping originally had caught my eye. So I joined a flipping mentorship while I was still in the military. And I had got hopped on a, like a group coaching call and the owner of the program was running that group coaching call. And he had mentioned that all of his long-term wealth, this is back in 2015, 16, um, all of his long-term wealth was tied into short-term rentals even back then. And so th that sort of intrigued me a little bit. I hopped on a one-on-one -on -one call with him and he was really open with his numbers, showing me like the cash flows and everything. And just blowing everything else that I was looking at out of the water, like in terms of like long-term rentals and stuff. So he had helped me um, and taught me how to choose the right short-term rental market. Um, and literally the day I got out of the military, I moved here to where I currently live in Asheville, North Carolina. And I got my real estate license, started looking for a property for myself. And what I realized really quickly was everything was either way out of my price range at that time, or it was in my price range, but it just wouldn't have done well as a long-term rental. Maybe it would have done well as like, or sorry, as a short-term rental. Maybe it would have done well as a long-term rental, but not a short-term rental. Um, so that was about like six to eight months of looking. And after probably going through a like fourth multiple offer situation and not getting it, um, I, I decided to build my very first real estate investment, which was an 800 square foot A-frame that we own to this day. And then one turned into two really quickly, two turned into four, brought on some investor capital. And then today we're developing $10 million worth of short-term rentals and then hopefully tripling that next year. 
That's wonderful. Yeah. Are you doing them all in the same area or are you all yeah, right now? Right now we are. Um, I mean, we're already looking at different markets for next year just yeah. because, I mean, I think, I think having about 40 to 50 in this area is where I would be comfortable at. All of our properties are themed though. So it's like, Right now, what we're developing these like six to 12 cabin cluster communities where they're all like within like 15 to 20 acres. And I don't really see those competing against each other. Um, so if we have like, say, four or five of those separate communities, those those are all like separate in terms of even the stuff that's on the short term rental market right now. But I think 40 to 50 is is a pretty good number to hit. And then we're, we're looking at I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. And there's some really cool Michigan, uh, like northern Michigan markets that I'd like to get into. Gotcha. So what do you think um, constitutes a good versus good investment for a short term rental versus a good investment for a long term rental? What are you looking for? What are those things that are different between the two different types? Yeah. So I started talking about this maybe like three years ago um, and I just had to do it out of necessity, like with building that first one. And when I built that first one, um, I didn't know it was going to do well as a short-term rental. I had underwritten it as a long-term rental just in case it didn't work out. Um, and so what we develop now is mainly like unique short-term rentals. So every area is going to have their own version of unique just based off of the landscape. Um, but like in my market, log cabins, A-frames, chalets, cottages, we're playing around with tree houses, barn dominiums. Um, th those, those tend to do really well. Where I like to say Instagrammable properties like properties yeah. that the guests would, would be proud to put on their social media. Um, so those are the type of properties we're developing. And the reason why we develop them is after after that very first one, just the cash flows were, I mean, I'll give you guys an example. So that 800 square foot A-frame that sleeps six people last year grossed 82,000 in revenue, and then it netted 46,000 after debt service and all expenses. That's and it's that property did almost as well as another property that we purchased at like triple the price. We, we developed and we, we bought the land, developed that property and furnished it for about 250,000, 30 to 40 grand out of my own pocket, including furnishings. And that, that property does well then bet like better than a property that we purchased for close to $800,000 currently. So that's the difference when you're looking at like the unique short-term rental development is that the numbers are crazy. And if you're looking at, things like tree houses that we're looking into right now. I mean, you're looking at like four to 600 a night for like a four to 800 square foot tree house. So like the number. I don't <laughs> think people give enough value to the fact that when people are looking at a short term rental, they are looking for a property that is not just a great place to stay and it's beautiful, but a place that they want to share with their friends and put on Instagram. Absolutely. So, if yeah. you are not putting those features and cool walls and that kind of stuff into your yep. property. On you're the inside, yep. Off. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah like accent walls. If, if, you, if, if you just Amazon dumped everything into the property just based off of what was the cheapest, like it's just not going to do well on the end. Like with or the even worse, stuff. you have, you know, hideous, like, so we're in Colorado in the mountains and a lot of people yeah. have like. Similar markets. The couches with the bears, you know, or like yeah. <laughs> um, grandma's couches. Yeah, it is really true that I think that's how a lot of people, I mean, myself included, search is like by the cute factor of it, I guess. Because yeah, I, lear I learned my lesson with those bear couches because I purchased oh. three of them. And I was like, uh, they don't look as good as I thought. Yeah, but I think it's also like to me, it feels like. Um, someone who has like a really cute curated place probably 
takes better care of it, if that makes sense too. So like when I'm looking, you know, I, if I look and I see updated furnishings, I'm like, oh, it's probably clean. It's probably Absolutely. been well taken care of. So I think that's a big deal too. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some strategic marketing things that you guys might incorporate into your short-term business that other people aren't to really set yeah, yourself so apart? When, so, I mean, whether it be interior design the way you guys do, or like with, with the, like with the property, actually, like the structure of the property being unique, I, I just like using the A-frame as, as an example, because it's the, it was the very first one and it was the, like when I first started. So it's like a good stepping stone. But um, when you're developing properties, the way we're developing them, the, it opens you up to the world of like influencer marketing. And that's what we recently started playing around with. So outside of direct booking. So like, I always like to say that you, you want to look at Airbnb and VRBO as just like a marketing channel uh, to your business. It's not where your property should live exclusively, but outside of direct bookings, um, we, we started playing around with uh, Stayamo. Stayamo is run by um, a, a guy that he just visited one of our properties and um, like, Stamos, for people who don't know, Stamos like an influencer marketing marketplace for short-term rentals. Like that—that's all it is. It's like the 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 platform connects uh, hosts with influencers and influencers with hosts, and they'll come in. A lot of times, you're just trading your unoccupied days. Sometimes you'll have to pay like travel fees or like for a session, but most of the time, it's just you're you're uh, trading unoccupied days for footage on their social media. And I mean, these are pretty big accounts. But when you're developing unique properties or you have something unique about your property, um, that that influencer marketing is like is a, is a complete game changer. Because when you're just looking at your property, I look I like to think of my property as like inventory. So it's like there's only 365 days on your calendar for each property. Our average daily stay is about three days if it's averaged across all of our guests. So at the end of the day, I only have to bring in a, a roughly 120 guests into my one property, like each property. But if you're if someone on social media who has two, three, four hundred thousand followers on their Instagram, those numbers are just so out of whack, like in a good way that like if someone's taking your beautiful cabin that they stayed at and they're vouching for it and they're just putting it on their social media to their community of two hundred thousand people and you only need one hundred and twenty guests, yeah. it, it's it's like a win win for everyone. Yeah. And it's it's practically free to do it. That's brilliant. And um, I know because I know people are going to ask this, right? So you're in Asheville, North Carolina, you have influencers there because I know that some of our audience is going to hear this and think like only that would happen in maybe California or Manhattan or somewhere. Great. Well, a lot, of, a lot of these people are traveling. So like van yeah. life or like yeah. the, the gentleman that just stayed with us, he, um, I mean, he, he, he was, he's a co-founder of Stamo, but um, I think he lives in Colorado. Like he does live in Colorado and he was, he was visiting family and then he just did a trip down here. So um, yeah, they don't, they don't have, to, I don't think any of our influencers are actually native to our area. It's just, it's like they're traveling through, which I mean, Asheville is known for is like just traveling through traffic essentially. Yeah. So what are the amenities that people are looking for in Asheville versus like a beach property? Cause I'm looking at property right now for a short term rental and the condo fees are killing my bottom line. So it's really yeah. hard to find something that is going to be a good return. Um, so what are those things that I should be looking for? So like I, again, I, I had invested out of necessity in a more rural setting because I couldn't afford to be in the city, like downtown. Yeah. So the, actually the, the city of Asheville itself does not allow for short-term rentals at all. You can't even get a permit for them. Um, so out of necessity, we, we invested in the county and especially with me taking on investor capital, I didn't want to be operating a short-term rental illegally. 
um, with with investor capital. But I think what COVID did was it pushed people out of the more metro cities like the downtowns into the more right. rural settings. And I mean, on top of social media, like it, in the last couple of years, it's been pretty normal to lit like to stay in a more rural setting. Um, and that, again, that's cheaper to invest that way. Um, so when like the market that I'm in, I love to I love to be in like mountain markets um, because they tend to be a little bit less seasonal. Um, yeah. I, I don't know how it is in Colorado with you guys, but like we're pretty much we're cash flowing throughout the whole year. I mean, we do have our high seasons of like foliage season and summer. But I mean, winter does well, like for our short term rentals. Um, but for some of the amenities, um, obviously, the, the property itself is a draw. Um, we, we like to play around with some sort of color scheme, some some sort of like some sort of color scheme when it comes to like wacky colors, whether it be like light blues, reds, oranges, black. Black's a phenomenal color. Like most of our A-frames are black. Um, and then when it comes to the amenities, I mean, mountain views are going to be a given. If you can't get a mountain view, um, I would say hot tubs because hot tubs play around with the seasonality as well, because like nothing gets more iconic than like some sort of property in the woods in the winter with a hot tub. Right. Um, right. They're, they're a little they're a little cumbersome to sort of maintain. Um, but hot tubs, we like to do breakfast, but that's free breakfast. But that's general across all properties. So we like when I say free breakfast, we're not giving eggs and bacon. We're, we're, it's like a, a pancake mix. And then we, we like to leave like a waffle iron out on top of all the other stuff that we offer in terms of free amenities, when it comes to these properties that we're developing, these cluster developments, where we have some room to play with like hiking trails, um, where we're, we're like one of our properties, we're putting in like a couple disc golf nets, just because we're already putting in those lanes, like in terms of already clear, clearing uh, the land for the properties. Um, but the yeah, the amenities are pretty general. Um, and I think I think the biggest amenity would be like a digital guidebook for your guests. Uh, that's been super helpful. It's like putting essentially planning your guest trip before they even come to the city and giving them the link in the check in instructions um, or like when they book the property that we tell them like, hey, we, we want you guys to um, like it's it's pretty aggressive to try to get a reservation here, especially during high season for like a restaurant or something. So right when they book with us, we send them the digital guidebook with everything that they need uh, to book their uh, trip. And that's like super cheap, it's like eight bucks a month to maintain something like that. You set it once and you forget it for the most part. Or you so it once. super like amazing experience is what you're creating for people, right? Yeah, we, my wife like Disney like, experience. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. And you, you mentioned Disney. Um, I like to th when so like when people hear like, oh, you do Airbnbs. I don't like when people say that, and I don't even like to think of it as like short term rentals or like vacation rentals. You, we're in the hospitality business. That that's what we are. It's like when I first started, I leaned very heavily on like hotel books and like like Marriott books are like they're like the general books that like you get when you want to purchase a franchise from a hotel or something. And um, you mentioned Disney. One of the best books I've read that has helped my business is Be Our Guest. That's written by Disney. Um, it's a hospitality book. But yeah, you're, you're building an experience for your guests. It's not just the property itself. Yeah, I think it's somewhere like that. That's awesome. Yeah. I think another place where people miss is they're only looking for somebody to come and stay there once. Um, right. Whereas with the vacation homes that I work on, um, people are booking them for the same week every year. They want that mm -hmm. constant experience. It's not something that gets used one time and then forgotten. You want yeah, this for life. That's a much easier way to run your business, just like right, a regular absolutely. real estate business. 
Yeah, that was because uh, uh, we also purchased properties and like mm -hmm. we, we just purchased, uh, got seven cabins under contract that we're going to do future development on. But that was a big sticking point for us was like we they've been operating the 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 the, the, the cabin complex for like, I think, 15 or 20 years. And we're like, we, we need your email list because that 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 is your clientele like that. Like they they practically do no marketing because they they have reoccurring business coming through at this point. Mm hmm. I have um, two questions. So I guess my first would be, um, is there any, okay, so like a lot of people when they're purchasing rentals, not for short-term use, use like the 1% rule, which is basically like take the price of the property that you can buy it for times 1%. And if the property can rent for that much or more, then it will cash flow. It's a good rental. Is there any type of formula like that for Airbnb or are you just guessing? Because I feel like that's the hardest yeah, absolutely. Art, right. Yes. So when I first started, I was underwriting them with the one percent rule and the fifty percent rule. Um, but with COVID and how expensive everything got, mm. my exit in the in my exit plan. I'm always thinking of an exit plan just in case, like my county one day decides to change the rules on short term rentals. Though the the type of properties we're developing in the five hundred to fifteen hundred square footage range, I think no matter what the market is doing that there will always be a need for like that type of square footage property. De depending on like, it doesn't matter if it's unique or not. Like people are always gonna be looking for a property in that square footage range. I, I consider that almost like an affordable housing square footage range. Mm -hmm. um, so that's like a backup to the backup to the backup if I can't midterm rent or like short-term rental the property. Um, but when it comes to like a hard and fast rule, uh, in the hotel industry, they always like look at like a break even occupancy. And that's that's a number that my investors like as well. Like, what is the break even occupancy? Like, if what's the minimum amount that we can rent this property for while at the same time still being able to cover our expenses and pay our mortgage. And um, I like to prior to COVID, it was about like 30 to 35%, which was pretty conservative. But now it's like closer. I haven't gone above 42% on my break even occupancy. And then I underwrite my properties at 65%. And then that becomes the, the that difference is the profit essentially between like the 42% and the 65%. So you're saying um, you need to be able to like explain that math for people 65% of. Yeah. So like, like, so you, you, if you, if you want to let's back up all the way so there's a really cool tool called data.rabu.com i don't know if we can put it in the show notes for yeah, people absolutely. it's currently a free tool currently i don't know if they're going to change it or not um i used to recommend airdna.co but um they've got not pricey but i mean it, it used you have to subscribe to it it's probably like 150 200 a month data.rabu is free and it pulls the same data that airdna.co does and it's almost the same platform if you put them side by side to each other but uh, yeah, you can you can find um, you, you can find you can put in an address that you're considering on purchasing, say if it's like through the MLS or through Zillow, and it, it will pull the properties around. It's essentially the MLS for short term rentals is what I say. Wow. The, the filters are very similar uh, to the MLS. And then from there, you can determine generally the, the hard thing about the unique properties is you're not going to find an exact comp the way you would if you're selling or purchasing a property like a normal property but you can get a general idea of what the property could rent for you can also hop on airbnb and just look at the home page and click through and see what is unique to your area and then see what the guests uh, what the host is renting the property out for um so that, that's number one is figuring out what it could rent for and then when it comes to the break-even occupancy and the 65% occupancy, you're essentially, say it's like the property rents for $100 a night, $200, let's just say 100 
you're going to multiply that over say 30, 31 days, say 30. And then you're going to multiply that by 65% essentially to get your number. And then you're going to look at your expenses, your mortgage, what your potential mortgage payment can be. And you're going to compare that and see, okay, like I'm underwriting it at 65%. And then, sorry, your break-even occupancy is going to be like 40-ish percent. That's where I like to stick to. Um, so as long as your break-even number is similar to what you came up with at 40% for like what it could rent for, then that then that's where I would be comfortable. So again, your break-even occupancy is going to be your mortgage payment, all of your expenses, what it would be to break even on that property for the month or the year. And then um, I underwrite at 65%, like, and then that becomes my, my difference, essentially. Like my Thank profit. you so much. That's so helpful. There are other ways to do it, like more intense ways. And there's companies out there now that will underwrite these properties for you. But that's a, like when you're, when we're talking about a 50% rule and a 1% rule, that's like step one is like, break-even occupancy and 65% occupancy for me. I feel like honestly, a lot of people, because um, short-term rentals are still like unventured territory for most agents or most people, um, I think people are just like, oh, it's close to, I don't know, I'm just making something up, right? It's close to the airport or it's close to Disneyland or it's really cute, you yeah. know, that's how they, they buy things. Um, but that is like very, very helpful. Thank you. And yeah, then, the other, oh, sorry, Angela, go ahead. I was going to piggyback off of him asking, uh, giving us the knowledge about the ROI type percentages. What um, amount of investment typically is needed when you would go to try and finance a property like this? I was going to ask about financing. Yeah, yeah. Yep, financing. When I when I first started, I started with this. There were there was no short term rental financing, or at least I couldn't find it. Um, but I started with a second home loan, a second home construction loan. Um, the rates were really well, uh, like in terms of like the loan to cost or the loan to values, I think it was like 90%. So it's just 10% down. Um, I don't think those exist anymore, but there are lenders out there. Um, the, the three that at the top of my head is center street lending. And I'll repeat these if you guys need me to, but center street lending host financial, and then Vizio lending. I believe two of those will do new construction, brand new like short-term rentals. And then the, all three of them, you can purchase a short-term rental. Um, the, that Their financing, I think, is anywhere between 15 to 20% down. For these larger properties, if, if people if people who are listening that have some sort of money stashed away or they have, they have access to investor capital and want to do some of the bigger stuff we're doing, um, we just started playing around with SBA loans. And you can get SBA financing on these new construction, like six to 10 cabins, up to $5 million dollars. Um, and that was 10% down on those. Um, so the, that 10% down, obviously the rates are going to be higher just because where we are. But like I, I recently wrote a Bigger Pockets article um, on that exact topic, uh, like just because we're in a high interest rate environment does not mean you should be just discounting investing in like across right. the board. Run your numbers, like run your numbers and see if the the property is still going to be profitable and it'll still cash flow at an eight and a half percent interest rate, which is, we just got a term sheet for an eight, eight and a half percent interest rate. If, if the property can do well at eight and a half percent in this environment, imagine how well it's going to do when you can refinance out of that loan in two, three years or whatever. If you can make your property work now, imagine where you're, how, what good of a position you're going to be in a couple of years. That's incredible. Are you open to, um, mentorship or coaching i know that you do coach people um but mentoring 
only on short-term rentals and that type of thing. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that we have- that's what, uh, yeah, the, the mentor, the group coaching masterclass uh, course that I recently put together, that's, that's why I put that together was so many people were reaching out to me. And yeah. I, like, I was originally taking on the calls. Um, but when, once I started writing for Bigger Pockets, that was a completely different floodgate that opened um, right. where I was like, OK, I, I want to help these people. And I have a free YouTube channel as well that I mm-hmm. that I go through some of my projects with. But when it when it came to like that, that course is the closest thing we can get to, like one on one coaching with me, with me being able to help like a, a good amount of people at the same right. time. Um, and then when it comes to me, yeah, I, I have a one on one coach that helps me with a lot of my stuff as well. Awesome. My, I was meaning more like, I guess, co-investing on properties. Like if oh, you yeah, absolutely. market. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's what, um, that was one of the main, that was another reason why I started the course was because I wanted to get into new markets, but mm-hmm. trying to find someone that does what I do down to a right. T is a little difficult. So I was, I was thinking about like, okay, if I push people through the course, and uh, like in next year, I'll be in a position where I can be investing in other people's deals the way my investors invest in my deals, that I can invest in their deals. And then they they handle the operations and everything. And it's it's essentially like I am the person that I am looking for in my investors next year. Exactly. And yeah. you know, if you train them that you're going to probably get a little bit better uh, quality of person, at least not. Absolutely. Yeah, that, 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 that was right? that was one of the that was one thing that came from putting the course together was that was there were there were multiple people in the course that are in markets I eventually want to be in. And I was like, OK, the, I'll, I'll probably approach them or they, they might approach me in a year or so because um, I've done it with mentors myself. Like I've taken on a mentor that taught me. And then at the end of the day, I ended up pitching them on a deal. So very That's similar. Awesome. Yeah. Um, is there a link that we can um, put up there for joining your coaching group coaching? Yeah, I'll grab that while we're chatting and we'll put it all in the show notes on the podcast for anyone who's listening to audio only too. Um, how long have you been doing this? This has been about six, seven years now. Yeah. Wow. Six, seven years just on the development piece. Yeah. And how many do you own? And then talk us through what's going on with the development piece too. Yeah, so uh, we own currently 13 and then we're developing 24. So, yeah, so um, the development piece, what I used, what I realized was that I originally started with just doing like one, two cabins at the same time. When I realized the best use of my time and the best use of my agent, because I'm licensed, but I have a real estate agent that's way better than me. So that's why uh, I use her as my agent. But what I realized, like the best use of my general contractor's time, the best use of my, my agent's time, the best use of all the people that are incorporated in my business time, even my cleaning crew, is to develop. There was no difference between me driving out and looking at a two-acre parcel or looking at a 20-acre parcel. It was the same time. Same thing with my GC going out there. It was just more cabins to place on that land. Um, And the timeline is a little bit longer for building, but in terms of the initial work, it was the same. So that that's where I'm currently at in my business is, is developing these like six to 12 cabin unique like cluster development communities and we theme them like i said in the beginning um but yeah i mean there's there's different things that come with developing in the mountains that's a little difficult but i lean on my gc pretty hard for that um can you go over real quickly what you consider a theme versus what i've seen people doing as themes which is yeah we can talk about what you've seen too but um (laughs) i i currently i like to develop permanent foundation stick built houses meaning that someone can go in there and live long term if they needed to meaning that they have full kitchens full bathrooms and a 
like a bedroom or a living some sort of living area um but that's what i consider um like in terms of just the structure that that that's what i that's where i start at is is that's the bare bones is they need to be permanent foundation stick built houses and when i say theme it's like the structure of the house so a-frame barn dominium cottages some something like that um we might do multiple a-frame communities that look different as well that that's something that i want to do eventually as well um, but that's what i consider theme and i want to ask you what do you consider theme oh god you don't want to know what i consider theme um, most of the themes that I've seen lately are um, Craigslist chic, um, which is not a theme that I recommend. But any house, um, you have to understand that like this furniture is going to get used. Like you can't, you can't just put the cheapest stuff you can buy in there. Like I think it's really important that you have a cohesive design style throughout the whole house and it works with itself. Because if you yeah, don't. Yeah people are going to be like, why is it so disconnected? I don't want to come back and stay here. Something's off. Like it yeah, needs to have absolutely. like, as you go a through floor. that. There has to be a flow. And that, that when it comes to designing the floor plan, it's the same thing. Like yeah. I'm a huge fan of just open concept just because it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's optimized for square footage, but it's like, yeah, you, you need a flow to your houses. Everything, yeah. every, every room needs to lead into the next one. I think people don't give enough value to the fact that someone is probably going to be living there and not likely leaving it very often for a week, usually. Um, that's how long our rentals are here. Typically, it's like a long weekend. And if it yeah. doesn't feel like a homey place that they want to stay there as long as they can, and where, why are people using these homes? It's not just to, you know, go on a vacation. Sometimes it's just to get away from city life. And yeah, and that's what, that, I mean, my, my, my wife and I will stay in all of our properties before they're, yeah. before we start renting them out. Same thing with, I've had my general contractor take his family, like his, yeah. his, his two kids and his wife and stay in the property and be like, okay, what's messed up? Like what feels weird? Same thing right. with my wife. Like we, we just stayed in the A-frame, uh, that first A-frame last week. And we're like, even, even after six years, it's like, okay, what feels weird? What's broken? What, what doesn't feel right? When let, let's cook a meal in the kitchen and see like, right. If, what are if, we missing? if there's the right it's, flow and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to live in your properties. I'm like, just to test them out. I'm, I'm a huge fan of that as well. Yeah. I just well, found out recently um, that one of my uh, owners just stayed in one of the properties that I did. And he didn't tell me. Um, uh -oh. And he did that the other day and it wasn't quite done. Um, but he was like, this house is perfect. Like we yeah. didn't want to leave here. Um, and he's like, you know, I didn't agree with why you, why you did that. But now I see why you did that. Uh, because anytime I go through the house, I'm going through it as if I'm staying there. Absolutely. Like you're going to have 100%. extra of everything more than you probably need because yeah. you don't ever want to be at a cabin in the woods without something that you need and then have to go out and get it. That's annoying. And you know, it's going to be a bad client experience. So. A lot of times they're coming in, like they're, they're tired off traveling. They don't want to, yeah. sometimes they'll stop at a grocery store prior to like a Walmart or whatever, prior to coming mm -hmm. in. But like my wife and my wife and she uh, had done a girls trip last year in uh, like upstate New York. They got to the property. There was no silverware like in the kitchen. Simple stuff like that. We're talking not even unique or whatever properties like just general stuff at this point. Like, yeah, you, you got to think of the entire guest experience for sure. Like yeah. every like you said, like everything that you touch, you need to say like, OK, like how is this helping the guest experience? And does this feel normal? Uh, I'm, I'm actually not a huge fan of using like technology in my properties. I keep everything pretty bare bones as, outside of like smart TVs because you don't want to be when, when you're in vacation mode, you don't want to learn anything. You don't want to like 
figure out how to work this, figure out how to work this. Simplest coffee yeah. machines, stuff like that. Um, simplest stove, simplest dishwasher, simplest oven. Everything, everything is like the simplest thing when 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 you're designing properties. Yeah. How many? Um like what percentage of people, cause you keep mentioning longer term rentals, what percentage of people do you think are staying longer than a week in your properties? Does that happen often? Yeah. It's not, it's honestly not that often. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say mm, if, so we, we do own one larger cabin that we purchased, um, that can sleep like 14 people. Oh, wow. And, uh, the reason we purchased that was cause it came with like four beautiful acres that we're putting some extra property on, uh, next year um those larger properties tend to bring in those longer like stay yeah. guests that's what i've seen yeah yeah that makes sense. they really bring in is the high rolling real estate agent that wants to get away for a month yeah. and work from there yeah, yeah. That's i was gonna ask so you work with an agent um what do you think that like if real estate agents were passionate about working this sector of business in their own business how could mm -hmm. they learn or what do you think they could do to, to be an expert on short-term rentals for their clients? Connect with the local property managers, like the local short-term rental property managers. So I only manage, so we, we develop and manage, we don't sell our properties. So like we're, they're long-term holds. Um, and I only manage properties that I have equity ownership in. With that being said, I'm connected with all the managers in this area. Um, my agent had already worked on short-term rentals. But when I had called all the property managers, all the short term rental property managers in the city, like the bigger ones, I had asked them for a referral as it like, like, who's an agent you'd recommend? And they always had two or three to give me. Um, so if you guys are interested in that, if the, the people who are listening, the real estate agents are listening to this and you want to tap into that type of clientele, um, that that is the quickest way to do it is just to take out one of these like the owners of these short-term rental companies and tell them i want to be one of your preferred agents and obviously like bring value to them it's not like you're just coming mm -hmm. in there and just like tell them you want to learn about the industry and blah 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 but um that's one of the hugest things and what i what i realized about my agent is she had cut off like I purchase, I'm not just a single family, like I'm not just purchasing one property every four years or five years or whatever that number is with like your clients. Like I know with like real estate agents, like usually the same client will refer you business or everything. It's like, well, I've purchased probably close to like seven or 8 million with my agent this year alone. So it's like the, if you find, if, if agents are listening to this and you find the right client that wants to consistently purchase in the same market, it's a pretty easy client to deal with. Um, and you don't have to go out and find 10, 15 different clients. You can just use that. You can just rely on that one client. I just had a huge aha though, in general too. If you're tapped into that, um, network of people, where do people that are relocating and checking out the city for a month, you know, a weekend go? There's, all there's all of my properties have my agent's contact info in my properties. Uh -huh. And then she'll pay me like a small referral fee. Cause I'm still, um, I'm, I'm still licensed. Yeah light bulb very interesting yeah no i think it's um unbelievable how big of a business you've built out of this it's really cool i wonder how many people across the united states own that many short-term rentals it can't be that many can it when i was at the bigger pockets conference there were some big numbers that were getting thrown around with listings but i don't know if that was actually owning them or if they were just managing them um, and talk about what goes into the management of it because i i know that that scares a lot of people 
off as well. Like, how are we going to get a cleaner? How are we going to, you know, just the the little day-to-day management. I'm sure you probably have a whole team at this point that does that, but. Yeah, it's a whole team, but at the same time, I, I try to minimize the amount of people I actually have on staff. Everything's third party. Same thing with my general contractor. Like my general contractors, like I have three that work for me, but they don't work for me like under my company umbrella. Um, but number one is going to be your cleaning company. And when I say cleaning company, that, that's different than a cleaning person. So you want you want someone that can't call off sick. You, you want to work with a company that, um, and it's very easy. These companies exist everywhere now. And at least you can just Google them, like short-term rental cleaner in my city and find like just a plethora that comes up on Google. But you want to find a cleaning company that specializes in short-term rental cleaning because they're going to have to be there at a specific time and day. It's not going to be, you're, you're not, you don't want a long-term, like someone who's just cleaning someone's house, like a company like that. So that's going to be number one. And the cleaning company acts as your boots on the ground manager, where I don't have to hire a COO because most of the time, if like my average daily stay is about like three to four days, they're going through the property at least once a week. Um, and they're going to, they're going to be the first people to see if so, if someone, I mean, this never happened to me, but if like someone punched a hole in a wall or something. Oh, we're going to ask for horror stories at the end. You got to tell us your horror stories. Oh, well, yeah, definitely. I want to preface that to say like, yeah. Usually those horror stories are like one in a thousand, but yes. those are the ones you usually hear about. Um, but yeah, that's number one is your cleaning crew. My cleaning company also handles my inventory for me and I just pay a difference. Um, like I, I pay 10% of whatever they purchase. So if they purchase a thousand dollars worth of stuff, I pay them a hundred dollars to, so to like handle toilet that. paper, paper towels, yeah, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And they just charge my credit card directly. And then I, there's a level of trust there and blah, blah, blah. So that's number one. Um, they, they also handle my lost and found because for people who are getting into this, you like, and you get, I would say over three properties that starts to become sort of an issue mm-hmm. is, is the, the, um, lost and found because people just leave stuff in the property. Mm-hmm. So cleaning crews, number one, that's the foundation to the management. Um, if you guys are looking to manage them yourself is the cleaning crew. Number two is going to be a maintenance person. I, t- I got my maintenance person from my current general contractor. You could probably tap into a maintenance person that the cleaning crew has as well. I put them on a retainer of like anywhere between two to $400 a month. And then I pay them hourly anywhere between 10 to, depending on what market you're in, 10 to $20 an hour based off of the work that they have to complete. Just very general stuff outside of like emergency stuff. It's just their on call. Um, number three is going to be an automated messaging tool. Um, I use a company called hospitable that manage, uh, that automates about 60 to 70% of my messaging. So like my check-in messages, my, my like booking confirmation messages, my checkup messages, like when they're staying my pre-checkout, my post-checkout messages, all that's done automatically. Um, and then the 30 to 40% of the messaging that's not taken care of. We actually use a virtual, we, we started just using virtual assistants that have worked with Airbnb and VRBO and Marriott in the past. We get them off Upwork um, and they they already have that hospitality experience. They're already familiar with the platforms. Um, they're relatively cheap, but I mean, we're paying them a pretty competitive rate of what they would make in their country. We mainly source them out of the Philippines and they're phenomenal. Um, so that th- those are like the four biggest pieces is a good cleaning crew, how to find them, mainly Google, just like Google, a good cleaning company. You can also tap into if you have a good relationship with the local short term rental hosts, you can ask them, obviously. Uh, maintenance person, we put them on retainer. We got mine for my general contractor. You can probably get them from a cleaning crew. Then your automated messaging, we use hospitable. And then the fourth piece is the um the virtual assistant that can handle everything else. And honestly, if you want to go into the fifth one, um, a dynamic pricing tool. 
So like a tool that automatically adjusts your pricing for you um, every single day based off of what the short-term rental market is currently doing. I know Airbnb already has a tool like that. I use a tool called Price Labs, which is like $20 per month per property that in my opinion does a better job than Airbnb. And I mean, I'm on multiple platforms so it can adjust everything. Interesting. Awesome. So you're very systemized. Um, and this might be a really stupid question, but how do you find the local short-term property owners? Because like, is that info listed on Airbnb, VRBO? Like, I mean, you could look up who owns it in the MLS or property records, I guess, but how do you find these people to tell yeah, them? In terms, of in terms of purchasing from them? In or? terms of getting to know that community, like in terms of like you said, um, being able to reach out to them to work with them yeah. or it just, yeah. you know. Oh, you're talking about the hosts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The so hosts, no, yeah. I feel like every, I know for a fact my city has it because I've tapped into it. Um, I, I've i been connected. Like if you have a good real estate agent, you're, you're essentially tapping into that network. That same thing with my general contractor. Like if you have a good GC and a good agent on the development piece, that's probably the two most important people to have on your team because they have the network. That's their job. Real estate. One of the main jobs of a real estate agent is to network with people. Um, but I, I've realized that there are these groups that have popped up in every single short-term rental city, almost every single city that has short-term rentals that are like Facebook groups or some sort of group to sort of protect short-term rental owners in that city. Um, just in case like the rules change or something crazy like that. So I, I would look up to see if there's like a, a, like a private Facebook group that you could tap into. Awesome. What, what do you do if the rules do change? Have you ever been stuck in that position before? So I try to get in, in front of it. So a lot, most of the markets that I'm looking to invest in, including Buncombe County. So the County that I operate allows for short-term rentals. You want to tap into a city or a County that, that, already had short-term rentals in it before Airbnb and VRBO existed. So if you look at like Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, like there are HOAs that exist to protect short-term rentals mm -hmm. in those cities. Um, the easiest way to find a market like that is you want to, no matter what city you're in, there are hundreds of these pocket markets that you're going to know better than anyone, depending on what city you're in. And it's like, if you live in a metro city, I don't recommend doing like the unique development in the metro city is you want to think of a place that people are vacationing to in your city, that people are taking like an extended weekend vacation to in your city. And that's where you want to plug in and isn't in, is into those markets. But, okay. Yeah. Um, what are you doing for follow up with the people, the guests that are staying there? Are you doing any follow up with them? Yeah, absolutely. So we use a company called StayFi and um, I'm really good friends with the owner, Arthur. But what StayFi is, it's a little disc that plugs into the back of your router. So we get most of our guests come from originally come from Airbnb and VRBO and then they funnel into our properties. And uh, what StayFi does, it creates a landing page for your Internet. So the guest has to put their contact info in. So their email address and their first and last name prior to getting access to the Internet. We've had close to a thousand guests come through this year and we haven't had one issue with that yet. And um, then that just plugs into, uh, we were using MailChimp, but StayFi just recently launched their own email service provider with templates and stuff. But we then just send out seasonal emails, like maybe five or six emails a year that like if leaf season's coming up, if summer's coming up, 4th of July's coming up, the emails are just pushed out like a couple months in advance. Um, but that's how we remarket to the guests because like take, for instance, the property that, sleeps 14 people, we're only get the, we're, we can only get the email address of the one person that booked the property mm -hmm. compared to using StayFi. Uh, we're getting all 14 guests contact info. 
So really? and you can brand it. You can brand all of your landing pages to your properties as well. So it's like, like it's really airplane. pretty. It's not gimmicky or anything. It looks gorgeous. And it, it's like nobody even second right. guesses it. Like when you go to Starbucks or the airport or something, you're already doing that. People are used yeah. to doing that. You yeah. have this to like a science. This is incredible. I've never heard of anyone doing anything like this. So cool. Um, walk us through what happened during COVID. Walk us through what you think happens if, you know, the shit really hits the fan the way that everybody thinks it's going to. And there's a recession. You know, we go back to like 2008. Walk us through what you think happens to people because nobody's buying anything, which I think is insane because this is the best buying window we've seen in three or four years. But, you know, yeah, it's like Robert, Robert yeah. Kiyosaki. I mean, everyone quotes rich yeah. dad, poor dad, but it's like when the market's down, what do you buy? What's black, wrong with people? Black, yeah. Yeah, if Black Friday happens in three weeks, like people, everything's on sale. It's the but like when everything's on sale in the market, everyone doesn't purchase anything. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, I think a big part of that is like social media and like the like the news. just pushing Message. like yeah, because it's like it's very easy to get scared if you're just on social media or just watching the news. Like I mean, it, it's 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 like overwhelming sometimes. Um, but I just wrote a I've written three bigger pockets articles on the recession so far, um, all for short term rentals. And I mean, I would feel like we're already in there in that correction period. I would say that 2008 or nine in terms of real estate would probably never happen again because there's already there there was rules in place. Like you can't get a mortgage today the way you could in 2008 and nine, like in the same ways about lying for income or no income loans. Those don't really exist anymore um, outside of like private money. Um, but I don't ever, for everyone that's listening, I don't ever think 2008 or nine would happen again in terms of what happened with real estate. It could happen in a different asset class. Um, there's a phenomenal book that's written called The History of the United States in Five Crashes. And it sort of talks about, there's always some sort of new economic vehicle or something that's created that causes the next crash. 2008 or nine, it was mortgage-backed securities. Um, I don't really see that happening in this market. When COVID happened, obviously everyone, we were locked down for a couple months. We just put traveling nurses in our, we only had a couple properties at that time um, compared to where we are now, but um, we just put traveling nurses in our properties um, right. that most most short-term rental regulations were like, you weren't allowed to rent for 30 days and under, but we just put traveling nurses in that stayed a month plus mm -hmm. where it turned into sort of a midterm rental. Um, but the, the way, so that, Another thing was just obviously like cleanliness with the cleaning company, like just changing all of our listings to make sure that, I mean, Airbnb automatically did it, but just making sure that there was some sort of language. You couldn't mention COVID, but there was some sort of cleanliness language yeah. in your listing that sort of helped like put some people at ease. Um, we also put like, there was like day buffers in between people staying on our property at the height of COVID. So like if, if someone just booked from mm -hmm. Monday and Tuesday, okay. nobody was allowed to book on Wednesday. Uh, the next person was allowed to stay in on Thursday and it gave the property like enough time to whatever right. my cleaning company had recommended. But yeah, that made sense um, with COVID. When it comes to investing in a recession, I mean, we just got a property like $500,000 under list price. Like it, it just, it's not normal. It's not normal to get 15 offers on a property within three hours. Like if you look around, you're starting to see agents advertise open houses more. Six months ago, there was no time for an open house because you would get your offers in on that first day, right? Um, There's also, so it's also not normal. Like I hope everybody listening hears this. It's also not normal to see $500,000 off a of property. That's why real estate's on sale and everyone should be buying because 
like Angela and I both worked in real estate during the big recession in 08. Awesome. We didn't see discounts like that back then. And we've talked about this on the show before. We're in a period of extreme fear and panic. And when National Association of Realtors, I've said this stat like 3,000 times, when they say that 90% of all agents have never worked in a market where houses sit on the market longer than 30 days or uh, where interest rates are above 4%, you've got 90% of the working population panicking and telling their clients to do price reductions, right? So like $500,000 off, yeah. everyone should be buying. Yeah. Right, right. I think too, like this is a personal opinion of mine and my husband since we've been talking about it all week. Um, I think that there is a lack of hope right now within the entire country. And I'm hoping that this midterm election um, situation will help um, with some hope and maybe shake something loose. Um, I will tell you this morning, I woke up November 1st knowing that our troop movement um, being stopped is lifted. So I literally woke up this morning to three showings on a property that I haven't had a showing on in two weeks, um, all of a sudden. And it's like, maybe something's shaking loose now, finally, maybe we can remember that when you stop moving our troops, you screw up a whole lot of stuff, not just real estate, but the economies of pretty much every city where there's military bases. Um, yeah. And going back to the recession piece. So what I said about travel um, on another podcast that I was just recently on, we just went back and forth on a couple of things was people don't stop traveling in a recession. They Instead of taking that two week trip to Europe, they'll take an extended weekend vacation. And that's right. why I recommend investing in like the like I said earlier about like the the markets that are close to you, that like you, the vacation areas that are close to you that you're going to know better than anybody who's coming That's new to your area. Oh, so smart. People will do like staycations, staycations. So you might be busier, actually. My wife and I just stayed at a boutique hotel Hawaii. downtown. Like it was just like it was just a nice like little getaway. Like people still will do that. Um, yep. my, my property management software doesn't allow me. It, at least I can't see it. I'll have to click every guest, but it'd be interesting to see like how many guests recently have stayed at my properties that are local or list like within 30 minutes because i'm sure it's high like i'm like we're, we're close to charlotte raleigh um atlanta is like four hours but like we, we get a lot of guests from those three big cities mm -hmm. so did you go through during COVID weeks or months where just nobody stayed i think that's everybody else's fear too is you know like nobody's gonna come and you're gonna be in trouble if you develop the properties or purchase the properties the way we were talking about, either doing something unique on the inside or the outside with the structure of the property, I don't, at least in the next five years, I don't see any reason why your property wouldn't book. Because it's, especially if you look at the Airbnb platform right now, in the when uh, when they did their summer update, they completely redesigned the, the website to be tailored for unique stays. Like there's literally like the tabs, there's a tab for A-frames, there's a tab for tree houses. Yeah. There's a tab for log cabins. There's a tab for barn dominiums. If your property can fit into one of those categories, um, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't do well because there's a shortage of those properties compared to like us. Like, I mean, not not to knock like normal looking properties or like five years ago, you could purchase a single wide and a double wide and put it on Airbnb and it, and it would cash flow. And I would say like in today's market with like the correction we're going through. And with the influx of like unique properties that's going out there, I would say that those properties are sort of pushed to the side now. Yeah. yeah. So you've got to have a really strong hook to get people. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. yeah, any type of business. Yeah. The, the property is the hook, the pictures, like the pictures yeah. are what sell it.
Yeah. Just like Stop taking photos with your cell phone. Fuck. Like <laughs> seeing like pictures from a cell phone of a $10 million vacation home make me want to hurt someone. Don't yeah. do that shit. I started including photography when I designed them now because I'm like, I'm not going to work my ass off and make that house gorgeous and have you take a photo with a cell phone. What the hell? Oh, yeah. Perfect. No, not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, well, I would. We got like ten minutes left. I'd love to hear some horror stories. And again, Alex prefaced this with, uh, "Those are few and far between," but obviously they're kind of fun to hear. So let's let's hear some horror stories. Um, let's see the biggest one. Horror story being that it, it didn't really destroy the property. It was more like it was just a, a. And this is why I sort of switched over to direct bookings. That was the first time where I started really thinking about like taking my property off Airbnb and VRBO, or at least my guests, like still keeping my properties, but really thinking about my business as a hospitality business outside of just, I own an Airbnb, right? So I had a guest come through, they booked last minute. And I, I, if, if you guys have managed short-term rentals, you can tell when a guest is going to be an issue before they even come to the property. Like it, it, outside of confirming, like just the types of questions they're asking after they confirm the booking, um, and just based off of those questions, I knew that that one, that guest was going to be a little bit more talkative or at least a, asking a crap ton of questions that was probably in the check-in instructions that she didn't read. Um, so it was like midnight or something. And my, she, she had contacted me. And so they, I, I know, I know when my guests check into my properties, we have like, we, we use a service called remote lock that will tell us when they use the code to check into the property. Same thing with my cleaning company. I know when my cleaning company goes in and out. Um, I'm not like looking at that, but if I can, if I need to check it, it's there. So um, I know that they checked in like right at checkout, at check in time, which was like 3.30, uh, 3, 3.30. And they, she had called me at midnight and said that like the place was left a mess, um, that she was pregnant and that like the, like there was dog hair everywhere in terms of like, she, her senses, like she like threw up and everything. I, and I felt terrible about it. And I had, so I refunded the, or she, she called Airbnb directly and got her stay refunded instead of just contacting me. And she left, I was like, okay, I'll just handle it. It's midnight. I'm just going to handle it in the morning. There's nobody there right now. She's already been refunded or whatever. So that morning, Airbnb reaches out to me and tells me that they took away my super host status and that they essentially delisted the property. Like they took the property off the market. They didn't cancel all my reservations, but my property was not listed on the Airbnb platform because of what that guest had said about like the place was left a mess and blah, blah, blah. And there was dishes everywhere. And we have cameras that face all of our parking lots. Like yeah. there's no, obviously there's no cameras inside, but you're allowed to have a camera that faces your parking lot. And, um, so I checked that to see when she checked in, I had my cleaning crew go up there. My cleaning, the manager of my cleaning company calls me and she's like, they brought a dog with them and they also cooked an entire meal and then left. Like, so they, she fabricated this insane story of like, yeah. And wow. there's no way, like nobody has the same code to our properties. Like it's, it's auto generated and it's, it's sent out to them via like just our messaging and stuff. So there, there, it, someone came, they came in, they checked in at three 30, complained at midnight, left, got a refund and probably stayed at a cheaper place or something like a couple wow. of hotels down the road of that property. Um, but that, yeah, that was like, that was like one of the first, again, I'm not knocking Airbnb, but that was for sure. Like shoot first, ask questions later type thing. 
Um, where did like, they fix I it? They did, but it's like I was with Airbnb four or five years, and they just sided with the the this guest that blatantly lied. Um, so that's that was the first time where I was like, okay, like, yeah, it was just maybe it was just that the way that support agent handled it. But it, I mean, to to go to the extreme of essentially delisting the property and taking away the super host status, I would say the delisting the property is above the super host status. But it's like I didn't like after that. I really started to think about it. And I was like, I don't like that a company like that can completely control my asset. Yeah. yeah yeah so, so you don't use those platforms is that no, what i do you, you do, i yeah. do but i started thinking about how to take the guests off of the platforms after they because airbnb and vrbo i mean those were there those are where the eyeballs are at yeah um right. to try to get to try to get someone like cold off of social media directly into my site is way harder than having them come through airbnb vrbo stay with me have a good stay and then remarket to them. It's way easier to do it that way. It's the same with us and like Zillow or Realtor.com, right? That's where all of that eyeballs are. Right? They have millions and millions of dollars worth of marketing money to get in front of the consumer. So yeah, yeah that's very, very interesting. Um, and you sound pretty hands-on still though, even with the amount of properties you have. It's, yeah, it's just because I'm in my market. Like mm -hmm. I live in the market that I operate in. Um, the, and I enjoy what I do. Like this is my full time thing. So like my I, I sat down, I was like, okay, what 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 brings the best value to my to my business? And what I came up with was creating content, coaching, and then um just designing these communities. So I'm pretty hands off on the development piece. Like I'm the I'm the one who's still writing checks and everything, but um I'm I'm pretty hands off on the development piece. I'll design the community. I won't put the floor plans together, but I'll get a general idea of what the floor plans need to look like in terms of the structure and the community. I'll go out and look at the property with my agent, like in terms of the land, but she knows what I'm looking for as well. So it's like a lot of those properties are vetted prior to them even coming to me. Um, and when you're purchasing like 15 to 20 acres, the way we want to develop, I mean, there's only like maybe five or 10 of these properties on the market at the same time, like in terms of land. Um, so yeah, it, th that's, that's where I'm hands-on. It's like, I enjoy like structuring the deals. Um, I don't raise my own capital anymore. I work with funds now where it's like I work with a couple syndication funds that they I'm the deal finder and operator for the the fund and then they 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 handle the investor relations. Yeah. Brilliant. Very 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 smart the way that you're doing things. Um I just feel like most people go into this like onesie twosie i'll just pick up a property and just throw it up on the website and it'll just rent and it'll be amazing um yeah. so you have and, and in fact we've had other specialists in short-term rentals come on the show and none of them mention anything like what you've what you're doing oh, I appreciate that. that's yeah, absolutely it's, 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 it's exactly what you just mentioned about zillow like you you don't want your property to live on a specific platform same thing with any business. Like when I know like in the internet marketing world, like there was the Google slap that happened close to a decade ago where like everyone lost their internet marketing business or internet business because Google changed their algorithm. Same thing with Airbnb, VRBO. They can change their algorithm one day and your property just disappear. That's yeah. like, well, what are you going to do? So Well, they could, they could pull a Zillow and go out and start buying their own Airbnbs and then they are a website only for their own product, you know? Um, so yeah, that's a good lesson to not let anything outside of your own business be in control of your business. Right. So very smart thinking there. Um, I don't know if you would allow it, but I was wondering if maybe you'd give us a, an address of one of your properties. So if people, you know, are want to see what you're doing, that is so special and unique and also like how your verbiage is and how you're marketing. 
Yeah. So let me let me give you guys my. So I'm not ra actively raising capital anymore, but if you go to, I just put it in the private chat, awesome. uh, sargoninvestments.com. You guys can click on. Let me click on it real quick. Um, there's a there's our current offerings, which they're already funded. But um, if you go there, you can see all of the. All of it's so cute. Yeah, that's our first one. That's the one we've been talking about. But um, that's the link to, I think there's only one link in there to an actual Airbnb link, but you guys can check out that one. Um, awesome. Some of, the other, some of the other ones that we're working on right now. We put up links for your YouTube channel, your coaching program, um, how to find all your articles on bigger pockets, and then how to look at some of your properties. And we'll put those in the in the show notes for anyone that's uh, listening just to audio as well. But Alex, that was like a master class in short-term rentals. And now I want to go take your actual class in short-term rentals. So we might see you again soon. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Um, stick with us a few minutes and then everybody else, we'll see you next Tuesday. Love you guys. Bye everyone. Angela and Lindsay would love to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Connect with the homegirls on social media at The Real Homegirls Podcast.